Hey y'all, you're listening to Crying and Trying, the podcast, the comprehensive guide for cultivating emotional intelligence in a fucked up world. This podcast focuses on how oppressive systems and the human experience interact and impact our mental health. As a disclaimer, I am not a licensed mental health care professional or an expert. I am just one human who has lived through the mental health experience, sharing my story and giving my advice. Please, if you or someone you know needs help, seek it out immediately by a professional. I will have hotlines, warm lines, and other support resources available in the show notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Lexi. And I'm Allie. And this episode, we are talking about autism acceptance because April is autism. Oh, April, (laughs) Autism Acceptance Month. Um, So Mm -hmm. our question for this episode is, why is it important that we are listening to autistic people? What is autism? And why are we shifting from autism awareness to autism acceptance? So for this episode, Allie is going to be talking a lot more than I am because she is an expert about most things I'm not gonna say all things autism because we all have places to grow but most things autism um she works with autistic children every day um she are you ABA certified I am gonna be a BCBA okay so So. she's working towards being a BCBA so she she has been all about autism for like your whole life you were really into um supporting the community in high school Yeah, I've been in the field um, working with autistic individuals for a decade now. And before that, yeah, for all of schooling. Um, Lots always, of volunteering and... Yeah, my mom actually put me in a um, an autistic kindergarten class as a peer mentor. And that's oh, kind of where it started. Yeah, fun fact. Good to know. All right, so, so yeah. I'm going to start with the Oxford Languages Dictionary definition. Um, So autism is a developmental disorder of variable severity that is characterized by difficulty in social interaction and communication and by restricted or repetitive patterns of thought and behavior. So that definition really starts off with all the negative things about (laughs) autism, as most medical definitions do. Uh, So Allie, what's your definition of autism? So um, while I don't disagree with that uh, definition, obviously, um, I, like you said, I'm just kind of sick of hearing the negatives first. So um, I really look at autism as just a neurodivergence, the same Mm -hmm. with my ADHD, any kind of neurodivergence that, um, and people at work make fun of me for using that word so much. Um, but I stand by that one time, my boss, like my favorite boss, um, her name is Julia. She, she, I had like a shirt on that said like celebrate neurodiversity and Mm -hmm. it was like different moths or something. And, um, (laughs) my classroom, like that's my big push is like neurodiversity. And she literally looks at me and goes, did you just learn this word or something? (laughs) I was like, no, Julia, I just really love it. Um, because to me, using a neurodivergence is such a more encompassing term than saying a developmental disorder. And it takes away some of the stigma too, like neurodiversity, like we're all different. It's not saying that someone is 
normal or better than anyone else. Right. So, so to continue with my definition, it's really a neurodivergence in the brain that may process sensory and social situations differently. Um, there's a lot of things that, um, autistic people's brains process differently, but, um, really those sensory and social norms Mm -hmm. that we have, uh, come up with, those are the biggest differences, um, that, that are really categorized by autism. So, um, and as Lexi started to say that this month is autism acceptance month, not autism awareness month. Um, and I say this every year, but we are fully aware of autistic people. It's time that we start accepting them. Um, and that's not like, uh, I don't think it's officially called autism acceptance day. We are calling it that. Like, I think, I mean, the the autistic people in the community. Yeah, definitely have said that. And this is really all autism speaks that we're going to bash in a couple minutes, (laughs) but I do feel like when you Google it, like, or uh, everything on Instagram, it's all autism accepted or awareness still. And so in this episode and like as advocates for this community, and we're hoping that you guys as allies are going to do this too, to shift from being aware to accepting it because we are all aware we all know about this and now we need to right. shift people to accept the autistic community as they are and right change them exactly exactly so um and I think that's a great point is that we are trying to do this work to make that change so it's not going to change unless people are getting on board and we are making small you know steps and leeway and um there are I mean people at my work and other um, schools I know are definitely changing their views on this because of the people that we teach and mm-hmm. because of the people that we come in contact with. So it is so important that we're kind of getting our heads out of our asses and yeah. <laughs> realizing that it is not our job to change autistic people. It is our job to listen and make a more inclusive um, world, really. Yeah. So to start this, I wanted to kind of play a game with Lexi and Lexi's going to say some terms, um, about that are kind of like in the world of autism. And I am going to just say a little blurb about them. Um, go ahead, Lex. Oh, I'm just wondering where my bar went. Anyway, whatever. I was going to highlight something to help me, but we'll just go. All right. So the first term is stimming. Oh, stimming, I could talk about for a whole episode. Okay, so stimming is really um, just, um, oh my gosh, ground, it's helpful for grounding. Um, it is really a just pro- a sensory processing um, way to, you know, kind of, um, oh my God, calm your, regulate and calm your sympathetic nervous system. Wow, words were hard there. So, so- would like shaking your knee be considered a stim? Literally everything that you do normally day to day is stimming with your body. If, if it's a little unconscious or, um, last year I did this repetitive. Yep. If it feels good. Um, I did this whole thing last year on my Instagram, um, about stimming because I'm so obsessed with it. And it, it really does a lot of these things light a fire under me because it gets me mad. Um, because it, it frustrates me that a child can't flap their arms, mm-hmm. but we're allowed to wave our hand out the window like a dolphin on the highway. 
Yeah. Like, why is that, why is that less weird? <laughs> because because society said so it really drives me crazy so stimming is one of those things if you twirl your hair if you tap your pencil if you're one of those weird bros that twirls their pencil over their fingers actually I do that too um those are all stims if you are somebody who rocks back and forth in your chair when you're sitting there if you shake your legs at night like those are all stims you are not this is not a an autistic thing. This is a human thing. And one thing that I want to just jump in with. So I'm in this neurodivergence group on Facebook that I just joined, which I can also share a link to if I can figure out how to do that. Um, I can't like invite people to it, but if you would like to be a part of it, you just have to answer some questions and join. But one of the posts was from an autistic person that said, you know, I hate how the things that people associate with autism are the things that autistic people do when they are upset. So right. like clapping their arms or the tantrums or any of the aggressive behaviors that they're presenting. And it's because that's, you know, it sticks in people's brains more, but like they associate that with autistic people and then don't realize that that's because their needs aren't being met. Right. And it creates well, a big disconnect. Yes and no. Flapping your arms can be definitely a frustrated thing, but, yes, but there are, right. They're just like a regulatory stim that feels good. But, but I yes. think a lot of people see that as like a weird, like a, a weird thing, typical yeah. person wouldn't flap their arms as a typical stim. Like they would right. probably twirl their hair or flip a pen. And so because a neurodivergent group of people do it, it's seen as weird. Right. And, and that is what, you know, I, I mean, when it really does piss me off because there is nobody writing these rules. Literally. Right. There is no reason why one thing is weirder than the other. Um, and, and that's another thing that we're going to get into is that myself as a practitioner and teacher and soon to be BCBA, uh, it is not my my job and nor is it my want to change a person. No. It is to help and not change. So let's keep going with these word associations right. and then we'll get more into that. Um, low and high functioning. Oh, okay. So um, this is still, these are still terms that are used regularly, mm-hmm. right? Um, but as a person who listens to the community, this is upsetting. It's ableist mm-hmm. and um it is classist because you're literally just defining somebody based on the things that they cannot do. So, um, in my field, obviously this is, these are terms that are used a lot because it's really a shortcut, right? So we're trying to figure out really what we're saying are, what are the support needs of this individual? Yep. And if we can change our wording to talking about support needs, then it makes it a little less, um, you know, classist and it's a less offensive if we're talking about, Hey, this person has significantly more support needs than this person. That does not mean that they are low functioning, you know what I mean? Or high functioning. So this one is really still, um, pretty controversial because in medical fields and things like that, yes, like those, those terms can be used as a short way to describe a human, right? Um, but in our everyday speech, we should not be getting used to speaking this way. That's, that's not how we should be addressing. All right. So these 
terms, just like Ali said, can be ableist. Um, and so we want to try to switch to support needs. And I have a post um, by Imani Blair on Instagram that I will link. Um, just in the interest of time, I'm not going to play the audio. Um, you can go watch it on your own if you want to, but it is actually has some autistic creators in there talking about how problematic the terms low and high functioning can be. Um, so we'll link that so you guys can go check that out. Um, our next term that Ali's going to talk about is nonverbal. So nonverbal, we really think of as people not speaking spoken language, right? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the times these kids or individuals get um, characterized as low functioning. Mm -hmm. um, unless you're in the field and you really understand somebody who is nonverbal, you cannot just say that they're low functioning. Yep. Um, I have a lot of kids who maybe nonverbal or, you know, will speak um, very minimally just to get their needs met. And that does not make them low no. functioning at all. Um, they just have a different brain process. A different way of communicating. Yep. All right. The next one is autistic versus allistic, or is it allistic? Um, allistic. That's just allistic. a term for people who are not autistic. Yep. Yep. All right. Quick and easy on that one. Um, mm -hmm. So having autism versus being autistic. Can you speak on that a little bit and the different types of language used? Yeah. So um, there was a big push. I don't remember a long time ago, that, ago, like at least five, I think. Yeah. That we shouldn't be, we should be doing identity first language. Right. And saying that we're, I, these people are not autistic first. They're people with autism. Mm -hmm. And you're going to hear me say this a lot through the episode, but this was primarily from parents. This mm -hmm. was primarily from people who were not able to advocate for themselves and were saying, my child is not just their autism and yada, yada, yada. And that is okay. If that is that their prerogative, that's fine. But when we really listen to the community of and autistic people, people are autistic, right. Of autistic people who can really advocate for themselves more often than not, you hear that, no, we don't need to be using person first language. It is okay to say an autistic person because their autism is amazing and wonderful. And, and not it's not some, right. And not a bad thing. Right. So they don't feel the need to say that they're a person first with autism. No, that's yes. not, that's not how it's, that's not how it's shaken up to be. Yeah, so the big push from the community has been to use identity first language. And again, like what Ali said, it's to destigmatize it by saying, I, yes, I am an autistic person. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you say I am a person with autism, or if other people are putting that label onto you, it's like minimizing the autism. When for a lot of autistic people, they relish in the fact that that is who they are and how they live their lives. Um, but one thing that is really important is to ask the person themselves. Right, like, exactly. Even though the majority of the community wants identity first language, not everybody does. So there, and we're going to talk about Autism Speaks and how much we don't like them later, but they did do a poll <laughs> and 69% of people who responded to that poll preferred identity first language. Um, so a majority of people within the autistic community do prefer identity first, but always ask because you don't want to make assumptions for people. All right, Allie, can you tell us about masking? 
Yes. So masking is kind of what it sounds like. It is a metaphorical mask to wear to appear normal in your environment. So this is something that autistic women are really, really good at and why they're so um, much less diagnosed. Yeah, I was just going to ask that if that's part of the reason why we see they're underrepresented. Yes, absolutely. Um, the ability for a woman with autism to, to mask is incredible. Um, I experience this all the time. It is a way to decrease your anxiety. Um, and really just like those unknowns that you don't know what the situation you're going into is. You read the room kind of and put on whatever mask is the most helpful for you to get through that social situation at that time. So it's fucked up that we have to do it at all. um, And that people feel that they can't be their authentic self without judgment. Um, But yes, that is what the term masking means. All right. The next one we have is special interest. And I put in parentheses savant with a question mark. Does, do savants fall in this category? Oh, uh, yeah. So savants are extreme. Um, they're the outliers. So savants get like grouped into autism very way too often. Um, there's all different kinds of savants, but like the movies okay. that you see. But yes, a savant may or may not have an ability um that is their special interest but that doesn't mean that their special interest is what their savant like skill is does that make sense yeah so um some savants or like people who are like incredibly talented at piano or something like that that might be their special interest but that's not to say that they don't also love like marvel or something Okay. Um, so yes and no. Savant is really just a, a word for someone who is incredibly talented at something right. <clears throat> and should not be taken as the baseline of an autistic person. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Thank you for clarifying because my brain, when I saw special interest, I was like, oh, savants, is that what she's talking about? Oh, so. no. So most autistic people, um, you know, when you're, when you're being screened or whatever, um, where you look for a special interest. So, um, this is something that presents itself differently in all kinds of people, but typically when you have a special interest as an autistic person, you're an expert at that. Right. So, um, so I'm thinking of one of my students who knew everything there was about the Peregrine Falcon. Yes. Yeah. So that was his special special interest. Exactly. Yes. I like to think that my special interest is the brain. I mean, it is Uh, (laughs) neuroscience, autism, that's my special interest. Um, Some others that um, like on TikTok, there's this girl who's like really, really obsessed with moths. Hers is really, I love that. Um, So yeah, it really is just, um, and special interests can change. So they can differ from like but it's usually in like seasons. So like you don't usually have more than one special interest. You can, but you don't usually have them. Yeah. More than one at a time. And usually they, it lasts over the span of years. So, because you become an expert at that thing. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
Cool. So the last one on here is Asperger's. And this is actually a term that we do not want to use. Why is that? Oh my God. So yes, um, I actually just learned about this a couple of years ago and <clears throat> um, Hans Asperger's who is what Asperger's obviously is named after um, was a physician in Nazi Germany. And he is known for putting children, uh, neurodivergent children um, through all kinds of extreme, terrible experiments, um, specifically children. Yeah. Um, I don't want to speak too much on it because I still have a lot of learning to do. Um, but from what I gather from the community and from what I've done for my own research, yeah, that it's, that's fucked up. And to be honest with you, the only difference between somebody with Asperger's Mm -hmm. and somebody with autism it used to be that it was characterized by like lesser support needs. Oh, okay. So, and you know, higher um, social issues. So they were like, people used to be categorized as Asperger's if they like could live on their own and if Not they so. held a job, but like they were weirdos, <laughs> right? Okay. It, there's no reason for that um, diagnosis. And we absolutely should not be idolizing a man who did terrible things to autistic children yes agreed okay cool so now we have a bunch of terms under our belt um and we gave a very brief overview of what autism is so now we're going to kind of move into some of the controversial topics in the world of Mm -hmm. autism Um, And we're going to start with ABA and then we're going to finish with Autism Speaks and some of the symbols that the community has used in the past and the symbols that the community has voiced that they would like to begin using now. Um, So what is ABA? It stands for Applied Behavioral Analysis. And I'm going to let Allie tell you what that is. So thank you. (laughs) Um, So yes, this is my job. Um, and it is highly controversial in, um, that people, um, autistic people are speaking out against ABA and here is where I kind of fall into the middle realms is that, um, the, the argument is that ABA is abusive, um, that ABA aims to make children not be themselves and be little compliance robots. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's too tough on children and it's only focused on eliminating behaviors um, and it's trying to eliminate differences and it's trying to fit kids into you know our society norms so all of that all of those are the opposing reasons and I am unbelievably passionate about autism and about mm-hmm. neurodivergence and it frustrates me a lot when I hear um specifically autistic people saying that ABA is abusive. Um, I'm going to just jump in quickly, if you don't mind. I think that this probably comes from their personal experience with practitioners who did not know what they were doing. Yeah. Because I, in the school that I worked in, we definitely had some people that were not BCBA trained, but were like the aides for some autistic students. And they we're very much trying to change the students and make them change what they were doing instead of helping them to cope. So I feel like, and again, I am 
not autistic that I'm aware of. I think I have some autistic tendencies, but I think that comes from uh, my PTSD. Um, so I, I don't want to speak for them, but I feel like that might be where it's coming from because on the other hand, we have practitioners like you who do not uh, do this in a way that is abusive or controlling. Right. Yeah, no, I totally, totally understand where that argument, you know, comes from. And <clears throat> it makes me sad, obviously. Yes, so um, sad. I think it's kind of twofold. I think one, yes, absolutely. There are probably a lot of autistic people who have experienced it. And like I say, I will say a million times, anything can become abusive if you're using it incorrectly. Yes. Um, so yes, I think also in the world of BCBAs, um, I would like to challenge the board to be choosing, and I don't know how you would even quantify this, but people who are really um, motivated to do, to not be changing people as people. Um, because right now, as it stands to become a BCBA, it's very like book knowledge, right? So you have mm -hmm. to have your hours. Um, you have to have practicing hours. You have to have observations, whatever clinical hours. But what it doesn't capture is that huge difference that makes all like all the difference that that little thing that sets practitioners apart between either, you know, doing it to follow a book because Cooper, that's like the Bible of um, ABA says so, or because, oh, I see this kid smashing his face into a cement wall and I need to help him have a better quality of life. And I need um, to help him be safe with his body. Right. And so there's, there's really where the line, the line is drawn is that, um, I truly feel the people that are pushing for ABA to kind of disappear have not ever experienced or been around or um, understood the amount of support needs somebody with severe self-injurious behavior has. And yeah. um, not only that, but yes, I can hear all the anti-ABA people being like, yeah, but there's different ways to do that. Yes, there are different ways to do that. But this is an okay way to do that if you're doing it in an ethical and meaningful way for that person. And um, too, like remembering yeah. that at the end of the day, they're a person and like they, if they are having self-injurious behaviors, there's a reason for that. So not just right. trying to stop the behavior. And I think this is where it comes into having like a good practitioner, but trying to get to the root of where this behavior is coming from. What need well, that is met? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say in, in there lies the huge issue in ABA because ABA does not claim to be able to help anything that is not observable. Mm -hmm. So that's where it kind of stops is that one, my background is in psychology yeah. and I am very in tune and understanding that a lot um, in, in ABA, it's called private events. So anything that, you know, you can't observe but a lot of private events or inner dialogue or mm -hmm. traumas, things like that are leading to these behaviors. So ABA does not claim that they can fix, um, fix right the root of the problem, oh, okay. but they can give supplemental um, routes, right? So like a classic ABA, um, program protocol would be like if a kid had let's say um 
self-injurious hand biting behavior or something, you're going to try to give a replacement behavior to get the same function of that. Okay. So we have to figure out what it is he likes about it. So you have to do analyses, right? And you figure out, oh, okay, well, it seems like it might be a sensory thing. You give him a chew and his he's not self-injuring anymore, mm. right? He's not creating tissue damage. Um, so my big thing about ABA, and I could go on about this all day, is that unless you see an actual act of abuse well, first, please report it. If somebody yeah. is using ABA incorrectly, absolutely report it. Yes. But also, please be open-minded to come to schools like mine. I work at a school called Melmark, New England, and it is incredible. And understand that what we are doing, what I am doing, I can't speak for every practitioner, but what I am doing is trying to provide higher quality of life based on these individuals' interests. Yes. Not based on what I think their life should look for them, based on how they want to live their life. Yes. Um, and the other huge part of ABA is that it's a teaching procedure. Mm-hmm. So it's not abusive if I'm teaching somebody to vacuum the floor by using ABA because mm-hmm. what I should have started off with was ABA is the premise of that um, your behavior will either increase with reinforcement or decrease mm-hmm. with punishment and that if you really think that you're not doing ABA you don't know what ABA is mm-hmm. we we do ABA in our everyday lives all the time Texting your friend that you're proud of them is ABA. Yeah. Positive reinforcement. Like, yes, it's all, it's all based on that. So I don't know. I would love if there's anybody, there's any autistic people listening and want to like throw down with me on this topic. I've been itching to, um, I really, really kind of want to be the voice to change, um, the, how the community is viewing ABA and get into the nitty gritty of it. And figure out if we can't come to some common ground yeah and that's I think my spiel on that. I think we could probably have a whole episode on ABA at some point and like so you know I'm gonna repeat Allie's uh invitation if you have strong feelings about ABA either way let us know we'll bring you on and we'll have a nice little uh friendly debate <laughs> yes 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 and I'm actually looking at the show notes right now and it says something about eye contact and, and, uh, I actually saw a TikTok about this the other day. There's this, there's this woman and her husband and they do these, um, they like rip apart goals and objectives written in IEPs, which like, hell yeah, I'm all here for. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Um, And and they were right. Like the goal that they read, it was something about eye contact and it was messed up. But again, I am here to kind of provide reasons why things like that would be necessary and I think a really good point of that and I tried to write it on this TikTok but you know how it like only lets you write so many characters so I didn't get my point um eye contact goals seem archaic because eye contact is not one it's not needed and it's a social norm right we only make eye contact because it's socially normal however it can it turn things can turn into a safety need really quick right So um, I have a, an amazing little, he's not little anymore. Um, one of my hands down all-time favorite students <clears throat> who is this beautiful black teenager and he is um, very quiet and 
does not make eye contact, right? So for yeah. years we worked on his eye contact and um, we started talking about, well, why are we trying to force this kid to make eye contact, which are my favorite, favorite topics at work. Yeah. And it was a team that hadn't known him for that long. And I've known him for a really long time. And I said, because God forbid he gets stopped by a police officer and gets shot because he looks non-compliant. Yeah. These things happen all the time. And especially- I think especially because he is a black autistic yes. person. Yeah. Like yeah. that, even though it's like, why should we, we shouldn't teach it. Cause like, he doesn't need to look in people's eyes, but if he does get in a situation like this, we have seen this happen time yes. and time again with neurotypical black people, much less someone who has right. a neurodivergence. Right. Exactly. That so, is, I did not even think about that. I'm so happy you brought that up. That just was like, boom <laughs> to me. <laughs> yes. So it's, and it's these things that, you know, people that are in the autistic community are really fighting against. And I totally am on board with them, but we need to remember all the reasons and behind everything that we're doing with it. Exactly. Like, it's not just like, you know, I'm sure some people, and I don't want to like generalize and like put people in a box, but I feel like the people who would be more against something like that probably haven't had lived experience where eye contact is a life or death situation, you know? Right. Yeah. So exactly. It's all about perspective and, and inclusivity and intersectionality, which is why we're talking about all of these things. Right. So now we're moving on to the next controversial thing. Oh dear. Mm-hmm. Autism speaks. All right. Yeah. So we're going to try and give a quick unbiased view before we give our opinions. So this is a quote from their website. Autism Speaks is dedicated to promoting solutions across the spectrum and throughout the lifespan for the needs of individuals with autism and their families. We do this through advocacy and support, increasing understanding and acceptance of people with autism, okay, and advancing research (laughs) into causes and better interventions for autism spectrum disorder and related conditions. So the website has sections about learning the signs, screening, associated conditions, and interventions. All right, Allie. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, I so even... I guess before we start, they have changed their logo recently. Good for them. Wow, and they say they're making changes. However, it doesn't really so, seem that way. Right. So <clears throat> the problem is, and whenever I get into this Autism Speaks debate with people, there's a, first, there's a couple hot ticket things that I always say. Number one, there are no autistic people on the board. None. Not one. None. Um, and then I go into playing devil's advocate, okay? So we have to understand that, uh, first, let me put it out there. No, I do not agree with Austin Speaks that there's, it's just, it's so wrong. But it's wrong because this, these are groups of parents with, children with significant support needs, right? So kids who come to my school, okay? And this was actually started by a set of grandparents who Mm -hmm. wanted to support their autistic grandchild. But a common theme that we will see is that it feels like people that support this organization want to make the lives of like caretakers and family members of people who have autism easier. 
Right. Instead of, it it seems like it's more geared toward like making life more, making it feel like making people fit in more and and like trying to cure it and eradicate it instead of trying to support people where they are and accept them as they are. Right. So, and that is the biggest issue is that, um, I think I put it in the show notes, but there, um, we'll put it, we'll definitely put it in the show notes, um, that there is a, an ad from, oh yes. um, what, what did I say? 2016. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a commercial and it says, and I quote, I am autism. I am visible in your children, but if I can help it, I am invisible to you until it's too late. <laughs> and just rhetoric like that, like constantly saying how terrible autism is and how scary it is. It and in one of your compared it to childhood cancer yeah leukemia um so the the premise it's just archaic is really what it is and I know again I'm gonna probably say on every episode we attack boomers and by we I mean I do um but I'm in there too yeah this is really like just has the reeking of a boomer trying to do what they thought was a good thing um because you know I want to play devil's advocate like it wasn't started out of spite right it was they really thought they were doing the best thing to help their children and people in their lives and then it ended up having these unintended consequences that we are now realizing how harmful those are right and the problem now is that if they are truly listening then they need to truly adapt and adapting is not changing your logo it is hiring autistic people it is Mm -hmm. listening to the community it is apologizing for your past um mistakes and beliefs that were proven that are proven to be wrong and hurtful really yes um and so autism seeks has a lot to do they have a lot of cleaning up to do and what it really boils down to is that autism speaks is a parent program right it is for parents with children with significant support needs and they feel like they have a community now Mm -hmm. because all these other parents and believe me I have lots and lots of them um at my job and and all a lot of them if not all of them are really great people but what they're not seeing is that autism doesn't stop at the extreme support needs level of children yeah it doesn't it goes all the way to almost needing no supports right Mm -hmm. And so by marginalizing this group and saying that we should eradicate autism because some of children have um, undesired behaviors because of it is terrible. Yeah, that's Um, like, it's so hurtful to the whole community. It like brings up kind of like holocausty vibes almost but not that severe you know like this is something that we don't like and we don't want it so let's get rid of it like obviously it's not that extreme but (laughs) the similar principle like we don't like this we want to get rid of it it. yeah we don't understand it yeah exactly um so the next time you see I challenge all of you to do your autism speaks research and really go into it with a gentle um kind heart because yes, it is not good. And we should not be trying to um, support finding a cure, but we also need to be cognizant of 
that these are parents that on their last hope trying to get some help for their children. And like um, that's something too, like if you were thinking about the type of parents who are finding community in this organization, they have children with extreme support needs. And that is not an easy thing to right, have to deal yeah. with and to have to support someone like that 24 seven, you know? So right. like, I do feel empathetic for these parents that they're trying to find anything that they can to help them. But then in doing so, they're kind of losing sight of like who their children are and what is good about their autism and what makes them special with their autism, you know? Right. I do think that somewhere down the line, um, it would really behoove us as a community to separate um, the the spectrum somewhere because I'm seeing so much dissonance between um, people that are able to advocate for themselves and then these parents that are advocating for their kids, right? Because yeah. we can't, unfortunately, we cannot um, say that the experiences as an autistic person on in the field of children that I have and I work with is the yeah. same as somebody running their own TikTok talking exactly. about how their sensory overload led them into a meltdown, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I just think that instead of, and maybe not separating, but a lot more understanding of that the spectrum is wide and is vast and is not linear, but more circular um, yeah. is really, really, really important as we try to move forward in acceptance and not awareness. Yeah. So we have a lot of articles that we're going to share in the show notes um, that talk about like the facts about Autism Speaks, some uh, Washington Post article that has a lot of really good stuff. So I'm going to read some quotes from that article right now. Um, so hold on, I just want to find the title of it so I can tell you the Washington Post article is the biggest autism advocacy group is still failing too many autistics. And this is written by Sarah Luderman. Um, so the first quote that I want to start with is the organization has actively contributed to the ho hostility that autistic people face. Obviously, the organization did not create the hostility, which has caused great suffering. But as the largest nonprofit related to autism, it has spent years promoting ideas and information that furthered the stigma and misunderstanding about the condition. So in 2009, Autism Speaks released an ad titled I Am Autism that portrayed autism as a silent and sinister killer. Um, it claimed that the autism works faster than pediatric AIDS, cancer, and oh. diabetes combined and ensures that marriages will fail, financial ruin will ensue, and that it will, quote, rob parents of their children and dreams. Um, so in that oh, sense, it will rob parents of their dreams. So Autism right. Speaks is saying that it is more focused on making parents comfortable than helping autistic people. Big yikes, big yikes. Big yikes. Um, so the, another quote that they have is that it has also consistently, this organization has stood against autistic empowerment and self-advocacy on Capitol Hill. They lobbied mm -hmm. heavily to kill an amendment to the Autism Cares Act that would have set benchmarks for the inclusion of autistic people in the research and policies that affect their own lives. So the Autism Cares Act gives billions to provider organizations and nothing to autistic led groups, services or quality of life improvements. Um, and Autism Speaks 
has also embraced the aesthetics of neurodiversity without adopting its principles in any meaningful way. And we're saying by embracing the aesthetics, changing their logo, changing what their mission is on their website, but still behind the scenes doing the same stuff that they have been lobbying against self-advocacy and autistic empowerment, like all of these things. So basically it projects the idea and reinforces the idea that autistic people are a burden to society. Right terrible it's, the, um, it like hurts my heart that like it's still so prevalent and so many people support it because it's just mm-hmm. like it it's fucking terrible you know the the people we really need to be kind trying to kind of convert are these parents obviously yeah. and that's a very delicate topic and situation um and actually the autism speak ceo came to my work a couple um months ago oh and actually it wasn't even a couple months ago um I didn't get to meet them um they didn't even come into my classroom but I was fired up mostly angry at our CEO that she would have them yeah Um, but I'm telling myself that she is working as an internal secret agent (laughs) too because I'm just like Like a plant Right. I'm really trying to, and I love this woman. She is um, a big role model for me. So I, uh, I'm like, there's, there's gotta be something. Cause no way are we just opening our doors to that. Um, but again, our, our parents are, we have a lot of autism speaks parents. And unfortunately, usually they do the lighted up blue thing at my school um and we don't participate in that stuff in my classroom because and I educate my staff and I educate um you know people who want to listen on all of these things but it starts with little things like that you have to be the one teachers out there if you're listening you have to be the ones decorating your classrooms with infinity symbols talking about import I post um uh, who was it? one of my amazing staff packs they posted like six um uh amazing autistic people throughout history like we have to be yeah. the ones that are yeah. showcasing this stuff um yeah so- and the more of us that are talking about this and starting a dialogue like the more likely it is that these parents will come around and that's also why I think it's so important to listen to what they're saying and understand what they're saying. Because if we just try to come at them with, this is what we think, and this is our opinion without really understanding their point of view, it's a moot point. Right. And I feel like this can be applied to any like racism or classism or politics. Like if you're going to go into an argument and like not listen to the other person, it's not going to go anywhere. We need to have a dialogue about this stuff. Um, So we also have some organizations that we um, put together a list of them that actually support autistic people and are comprised of a majority of autistic people. So do you want to like popcorn read these, Al? Sure. The Autistic Self-Advocacy Network is an organization run by four autistic people and um, they work to create changes that benefit all autistic people and make tools for the community that can um, you can use to get involved in advocacy. There's also the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network, AWN, 
which seeks to share information which works to build acceptance and understanding of disability while dispelling stereotypes and misinformation, which perpetuate unnecessary fears surrounding an autism diagnosis. We love that. We love to get rid of unnecessary fears. Um, And then self-advocates becoming empowered. All of these are acronyms. Um, So S-A-B-E, they work to ensure that people with disabilities are treated as equals and are given the same um, decision choices, rights, responsibilities, and chance to speak up to empower themselves as everyone else. And this is really like one of those that I feel like my work should be backing because we do a lot with getting our, our students into the workforce. Yeah. And to be advocates for themselves. Yeah. As much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, The next one is the autistic people of color fund um, provides micro grants to black, brown, native, Asian, and mixed race people in the autistic community for survival, organizing, leisure, and pleasure. So if you want to um, put your money where your mouth is and help support the autistic community, you can go donate directly to that fund. um, And that money will help to support uh, marginalized groups within the autistic community. And oh my God, honestly, being autistic and white is so much easier Mm -hmm. than being autistic and any other color. Yeah. Yes. Because go ahead. I was just gonna say because the you can see it in in every every avenue. Um, if you're in the field, every school that you go to, the statistics are gonna be much heavier, even if you are in an urban community or you know, I don't know, it's just very um disheartening that um how much better these little white boys with autism are treated. Yep. And that's, again, where intersectionality comes into play. Like if you are an advocate and an ally, but you're, that stops at white people, then you're not really an advocate or an ally. It needs to include everybody. Right. And then this last one, or we might have a few more. Um, This is called- Okay, this is called Communication First, and it works to educate the public, advocate for policy and reform, and engage the judicial, judicial, (laughs) okay, you know what I'm trying to say, systems to advocate um, the rights, autonomy, opportunity, and dignity of people with speech-related communication disabilities and conditions, so this is a great one, too, and it spans um, across autism and multiple other things, people that have had strokes, and suffer from um, um, speech loss, all, all kinds of things here. So yeah. even people long. that are part of the deaf and hard of hearing community. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does Autism Speaks need to do to improve? I think we've kind of really touched on this a lot already. They need to call yeah. themselves what they are, that they mm-hmm. are parents or families of children with significant port- support needs trying to impact their children's lives. and trying to make their lives easier, but that this doesn't necessarily extend to the entire community. Right. And I think most important is that they really need to listen to and include autistic people in their work, which all of the other organizations that we just listed are doing that already. So, um, you know, Autism Speaks, get your shit together. You've been called out. You've been called out numerous times. I don't know how we're still doing this. (laughs) old song and dance 
All right, so we have one more um, controversial topic we want to talk about, and this is actually um, was popularized by Autism Speaks. Um, so the symbol that you often see associated with autism is the blue puzzle piece, or sometimes there are other colors, but I think the most common one is blue. Mm -hmm. um, so this this symbol, this image originally was coined because autism was seen as a quote unquote puzzling affliction um, and was actually popularized without input from the autistic community. The original symbol also had a weeping child inside the puzzle piece, which demonstrates that this uh, affliction is a tragedy, which is oh my God. Not, not the case. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> so why is this symbol hated? There's a lot of reasons, Allie. What what do you what's your take on why this symbol is hated? Aside well, from the history of it, I mean, I am definitely going to call myself out for this. This is something that I absolutely adopted. I have it tattooed on my back. I know so many other people with tattoos like this who genuinely just wanted to be like, oh yes, like autism means a lot to me. Um, and then we really um, peeled back the layers of of why. Um, why this is the symbol that it is and that it's not just oh you know missing puzzle pieces I always looked at it as like um it's so interesting that like autistic people have so much to them mm -hmm. and that's that's how I looked at it and even still that's kind of stig <laughs> that's kind of a stigma yeah yeah in itself right and I think um, like when I first accepted this symbol too, like I was like, oh yeah, like they're a piece of the puzzle too. They're part of the part puzzle. Part of the community. community. Yeah. Um, however, a lot of people in the autistic community see that as implying that they're not complete. Right. That they are a lone piece of the puzzle. And so like they will never be a full puzzle because they're just a piece. You know, and the fact that it is blue is significant too. the lighted up blue and the fact that autism speaks is blue like there that is their company's color is because they acknowledge that this um, amount of diagnoses are heavily male. And again, that's problematic because it's reinforcing the gender binary <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. also like ignoring the fact that so many um non-binary people and women are also are autistic right exactly um so I actually am in a nail inspo group that um had a lot of controversy with the puzzle piece symbol like we had people who were posting asking for inspiration for autism um awareness nails and some people posted puzzle pieces and it just like it went to shit that but even within that group mm -hmm. I was seeing a lot it was not the kindest arguments like over the course of the month like they've gotten more um amicable and lots of lot less screaming at each other but there are a lot of people in that group that are like I am autistic I see nothing wrong with the puzzle piece I enjoy this symbol I'm going to use it so again yeah. this goes back to like the identity first or person first language it depends on the person um, there are autistic people who like the puzzle piece and that is their symbol of choice, but there is a majority of the community that does not approve of this symbol for the right. reasons that we've outlined. Yeah. So it looks like, um, 
I actually don't even know who created this. Did we even look into that? Um, no, but I can look right now. Oh my God, how embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> no, so um, the, the uh, I'm sorry, symbol we are kind of moving towards is using an infinity symbol. And um, a lot of the times this was depicted as a golden infinity symbol. And now it's moving more towards a rainbow infinity symbol. Um, so embarrassingly, I don't have where it came from, but that gives me some homework to do tonight because you know, I love reading up. Um, so just think about it. These are all things to think about when you are really trying to su support the community is how am I going to best represent that I'm an ally? Um, and as it stands right now, it's definitely not a puzzle piece and it's a, an infinity symbol. So <laughs> Judy Singer is the person who created the term neurodiversity and the symbol was created by her. So oh, I think we love Judy. We love Judy Singer. So this was originally just for neurodiversity, which includes a lot more than just autism, but it has really been adopted by a lot of people in the autistic community. Because they um, are neurodivergent and not yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, so Autism Speaks did put out a statement in 2018 saying the puzzle piece is important because it, it represents the search for answers that will lead to a greater understanding and acceptance of people on the autism spectrum, which doesn't, whatever, whatever. Okay. <laughs> I, I can see that, but they're just kind of like digging their grave. Like they're, you're being told that autistic people don't want this symbol. And then you're just digging in your hills and saying, we're going to use it anyway. Right. Fuck you. Um, but one of the articles that I was reading, and I don't remember which one, but it will be linked in the show notes. Um, the puzzle piece to a lot of people really infantilizes autism um, because puzzles are associated with children, elementary school, preschoolers putting puzzles together. I know like a lot of adults do do larger puzzles, but we think of kit like it's a toy. Um, so that contributes to the misconception that this is a childhood affliction, which for a long time, um, a lot of people assumed that once people became adults, like they weren't autistic anymore, which is <laughs> couldn't be farther from the truth. You're autistic your whole life. Um, but having this puzzle piece kind of helps people to forget that there are autistic adults as well, because you see a puzzle piece and your brain kind of thinks of children. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then there was also a tagline. I don't remember where it was from. I think it may have been Autism Speaks. They said, until all pieces oh, yeah. fit. Well, guess what? The pieces aren't all going to fit because you're trying to shove people into this mold of what you expect them to be. And people are right. unique and different and diverse and neurodivergent and like trying to shove people into a box. That That is abusive. Oh, sorry if you guys can hear my kids <laughs> screaming in the background. They're passionate about this too. <laughs> They are. And they're like, mom, can you finish up? We want to hang out with you. <laughs> okay. So with that, and, we'll wrap up. Yes, we will wrap up. There's lots of notable people. Um, if you want to start um, by reading, there's a really great book um, by Devin Price. He, they, okay. I'm sorry, they are a um, non-binary autistic person. Um, and who wrote an amazing book called Unmasking Autism, Discovering the New Faces of Neurodiversity. Um, my friend packs, my, my, my staff packs at work is reading this right now and they say that it's amazing too. 
Um, and what's really cool, Devin is such a great advocate for so many things. I follow them on Twitter and Instagram. They have their PhD. They're very brilliant and they have some really interesting perspectives on a lot of things. They've made me question my own beliefs about certain things, not even just related to autism, but just like society in general. Um, so they are a great person to go uh, check out if you want to learn more. Um, at autistic underscore Callum underscore also made a post on Instagram outlining a bunch of their favorite creators that are autistic. Um, I, for a time's sake, we were going to read out some of them, but there is literally like 30 of them in there. So yeah. we'll link the post. You can go check that out um, yourself if you want to go see some autistic creators. Um, Allie also um, has seen a lot of autistic creators on TikTok. I'm not on the tickety talk. So um, yeah. I lo- yeah, there are a lot. There are also a lot of those mom pages that you'll find. And I honestly sometimes will watch those just for my own um, awareness to be able to like bring and obviously I advocate on them all the time. Um, but one of my favorite autistic creators, her name is Abby. Um, she makes hats um, and she's a 20 something and her mom does, um, you know, prompt questions, but you can tell it is in a way that this mother truly um, accepts and loves her daughter for who she is mm-hmm. and um, wants to promote that. So Abby's Hats is an awesome TikTok person awesome. to check out. Um, we have some names of some other really great, um, notable autistic people. Um, Temple Grandin. Duh. Uh, I'm not going to, do you know how to say this name? Satoshi. I don't know how to say his last name, but he's the creator of Pokemon. Okay. Is that supposed to be Seinfeld? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Ali spelled it (laughs) S-I-N-E-F-E-I-L-D. We'll do a whole episode on dyslexia too. Oh my god! I was like, I, I just, I don't want to read that in case it's like someone's name and it is Sinafield. Sinafield, we do Sinafield. Sinafield has the autism. Oh my god! Sorry, let's cut that out. Okay, so there's a million more names that we could get into, but really, I uh, encourage everyone to do some digging this week in it is the last week of April. So it's the last week of autism acceptance month. (laughs) And see, I still have work to do. Um, So yeah, do something for the community. Learn something, ask us questions. Just reading up yourself to educate yourself. If it's advocating for people, um, do what you can to be an ally. Um, And not just this month, but all the time. Yes. Um, but thanks for coming as always. We appreciate you guys so much. Um, keep trying to get through those. (laughs) We do love you. Love you. And keep trying to get through those minty bees. Stay crying in those shubbies. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining for another episode. You can find the podcast on social media on Instagram at crying and trying underscore pod on Facebook at crying and trying pod and on Twitter at crying underscore trying underscore pod. 
You can also find me personally on Instagram at Lex underscore G-O-N underscore give it to you. And that is the number two. If you'd like to email us, our email address is cryingandtryingpod at gmail.com. Feel free to send us questions, comments, episode suggestions, or any other feedback you have. I truly love interacting with the listeners and your input is vital to helping the show grow. If you know anybody who would benefit by listening or who could even be a great guest, please share the podcast with them. The best ways to help a small independent podcast grow is to rate, review, and subscribe so other listeners can find us. You can also help by liking, commenting, and sharing our posts on social media to help grow the community. If you'd like to support the show with a small monthly donation, you can do so on our podcast page. This is just a placeholder until I'm able to get our Patreon up and running, but every small donation is appreciated. I'm also a proud member of the PodPros community and utilize PodMatch to connect with many amazing guests. This podcast is researched, produced, and edited by me, Lexi Hamsmith, using Anchor by Spotify.